He is risen indeed. I have been excited to hear that all week. Uh, it, is, it is Easter morning, and it's so good to be together. Uh, at Grace, we are a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and sacrificially serving Jesus. And we want everything we do to angle towards that, uh, and it's so good to be together today. If you are uh, joining us for the first time or if you're visiting with us today, we just want to say welcome to you. We are so uh, glad to have you with us. We would love to be able to uh, greet you uh, personally after the service. Just to your left, outside those double doors, is a welcome center, and we would have a little gift for you if you're new. We'd love to be able to put a face to a name. So, again, just really happy to have you uh, with us today. For everybody this morning, I've been told to say... There are lots and lots of delicious pastries outside that need to be eaten. So after the service, please stick around, enjoy those, enjoy uh, some good coffee and fellowship outside on the plaza this morning. Uh, a few other things to keep in mind. Uh, number one, just uh, make a note that there are no midweek services. No youth, no wana, and the midweek service is on break this week to give you a quieter week. We'll resume next week. Uh, also, some upcoming events. Uh, be aware that there is a welcome lunch at the beginning of May, Sunday the 1st. There's a women's spring tea coming up, and then over Memorial Day weekend, we have that great barbecue with all the delicious smoked meat. So especially plan to be here uh, for that Sunday evening Memorial Day weekend. Uh, also want to mention, today is the day that summer sign-ups are open. So uh, everything happening this summer, including uh, VBS, is opening up today. And for VBS especially, if you're interested in that, there are little cards out at that same Welcome Center that give you more information. You can start signing up uh, your kids for VBS today. And then final thing to mention is that next week, Pastor Mike is going to be beginning a new uh, sermon series in the book of 2 Thessalonians, and that's going to be called Steadfast. Steadfast. So lots of great things coming up in the Word together at Grace. Uh, and with that, we're going to begin our service this morning by standing. You can stand with me if you are able, and we'll be reading from Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 7. Luke 24, starting in verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen Remember how he told you while you were still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And Lord, we know that we come to you this morning as our risen and living Savior. Lord Jesus, you died, you were buried, and you rose. You are alive now. Through faith, we have come to you, and through you have access to know God. Lord, we praise you as the one who conquered sin and death for us. We love you. We thank you for this morning to be together and to celebrate that you are alive and reigning, and we will be with you forever. We ask that you would turn our hearts toward you this morning. We thank you for this time to be together. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
Yeah. 
us to powerfully say He frees our hearts to live His grace
scripture reading this morning comes from Luke again, chapter 24, and we'll be reading verses 8 through 12, continuing from where we just left off. And turn there with me in your Bible, and we'll remain standing out of honor for God and His Word. Luke chapter, Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 8. And they remembered His words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. You may be seated. And, and as you're seated, if you'd be willing to move towards the middle or if you're in the side aisles towards the edge, we're trying to just uh, open up as many seats as we can. Thank you so much. Uh, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer in just a moment. As we do, just want to mention uh, that we'll be praying especially for one of our missionaries this morning, and that's Brittany Livesey. She serves locally. Lots of us know her just over in the El Medina uh, community behind us. And then also we'll be having baptisms at the end of the service today. So that's really exciting. We'll pray for that as well. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we know that, that you really did die, you were buried, and you rose. And we are coming to you now as our living, risen Savior, the head of the body, the Lord of all, the King of the universe. Lord, you, you are who your word says you are. And we praise you this morning that you have conquered death in our place, that you've risen again. Lord, we, we love you and we thank you for the life that we have in you. We know that if you, if you had not been raised, then our faith is futile. We would still be dead in our sins, and of all people, we would be uh, most to be pitied. But Lord, we know that you have risen, and we praise you. And we know that all around the world, all across the globe today, there are so many who, through the fear of death, are subject to lifelong slavery. But Lord, you have rescued us from that. We know that death is not the end for us that after we die, we will rise because you have risen and we will live with you forever and ever and ever and ever. Lord, this is our, our great hope and we praise you that this morning we have such a perfect opportunity to direct our minds towards it, for you to direct our hearts towards it, to remember that this earth is not our home, that our citizenship is not here, that you are risen and in heaven and, and we will soon go to be with you and someday you will return to make this world right as it was intended to be. And with your people, you will rule forever and ever. Lord, we just we praise you for these things. We live in the middle of just unbelievably uh, glorious realities. And it's almost hard to believe sometimes. But Lord, we know that these things are real. So we thank you for the chance to think about them this morning. And we worship you. Lord, we thank you so much for Brittany and for her ministry in El Medina. We are so grateful for the work that you're doing in the lives of families there. We ask that you would continue to move the gospel forward into people's hearts, that as we are interacting with families there and as Brittany is, is doing so much of that with different uh, families, Lord, we pray that the gospel would be coming with power, that people would see Christ uh, dying, rising, 
and, and trust him. Lord, we pray that you would bring people into the church here, that people would be here with us and in Enclados, and Lord, that you would, would rescue people and bring them out of darkness into light. And we pray for Brittany. We thank you so much for her and for her service, and we ask that you would bless her and encourage her and strengthen her. And Lord, we also thank you for those who are being baptized this morning. We thank you that baptism pictures our death with you and the new life that we have through faith in you. We rejoice in that this morning, and we just ask that it would be an especially sweet time as we see those baptisms at the end of the service today. Lord, it is, it is for your glory and in your name that we pray all of these things. We thank you so much for the grace that you shower on us. We pray in your name. Amen.
Father God, thank you that we can sing this truth, God, to ourselves, to each other, to proclaim the tomb stands empty, announcing God has won. What a glorious day that we get to celebrate our risen Savior. And as we do this morning, God, would our eyes see more clearly? Would our hearts be opened to know and to love the slain and yet risen Jesus? We ask and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, we live in a time of fake news and conspiracy theories and misinformation. It's all around, and we find it difficult to believe people's stories. And it's not a new thing. It's been a thing uh, as long as sinful people have existed. People didn't believe that God meant what he said. Didn't believe a donkey could talk or an axe head could float or a virgin could give birth to the Son of God. People didn't believe the Wright brothers could fly, didn't believe the Titanic could sink, didn't believe that we could have a, a computer in our pocket that is a phone. We can't believe that anyone who disagrees with us could be a normal person. And we think that people are crazy delusional liars at the drop of a hat. 
So it is no wonder that people thought that the resurrection was a hoax, that it was crazy talk, that it was false. Depravity manufactures all sorts of fake news and peddles disinformation, and it's no wonder that they said that the resurrection was an idle tale, that it was nonsense. Waking up that first Easter morning must have been brutal. After such a bloody Friday, probably like surviving a bad dream, waking up and wondering, was that real? And the women arrive, and they're excitedly talking about this impossible escape out of a tightly guarded and sealed tomb, and the disciples are cowering in a corner, and Peter is God knows where. And the angel had told the women, Mark records it, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Just as he told you. Tell the disciples and tell Peter. Peter gets the news. He rubs the sleep out of his eyes and, and sprints to the tomb. Sprinting to the grave cave that Joseph gave to bury Jesus. And he sees what the women saw. And there's this gaping hole with no stone door and neatly folded grave clothes. And they had to be bloody. Physical evidence of real resurrection. Jesus raised to life. And the opponents claim it's a fairy tale. Luke 24 tells us that Christ's resurrection was no idle tale, not nonsense, not foolishness. Believe it. The resurrection is not nonsense. It's the only thing that makes sense. The resurrection is not nonsense. It's the only thing that makes sense out of life. Nothing else works. Everything you try fails. Every solution. The resurrection is the hinge point of history. It's the only way to life. If not for the resurrection, our faith would not be valid. It is the truth on which everything rests. It makes sense of everything else. Christ's accusations showed there was no guilt in him deserving death, and still they put him to death. Christ faced bloody crucifixion with no fear. It was his plan in John 10, he said, No one takes my life from me. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Isaiah 53 promised that there would be a resurrection. The Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief at the cross. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, dying in the place of sin, and he would see his offspring. He will prolong his days. Resurrection. The resurrection shows the power of God. Resurrection proves every claim that Jesus made to be the Son of God. Shows his sinless perfection. He is God. Fulfills Old Testament prophecy. It, it is the basis of the Christian life. Jesus in John 11 said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies and then he asks the question, do you believe this? 
do you believe this? Some people do, some people don't. And as we work our way through this passage today, we're going to see three portraits of responses to the resurrection. First, the women's devotion. Secondly, the disciples' disbelief. And third, Peter's determination. Three different responses. And you see these in people today. There, is the, there are the devoted, there are the disbelieving, there are the determined. God wants you to be trafficking in truth. He wants you to receive it. He wants you to remember it. He wants you to rejoice in it. He doesn't want you to believe lies. We believe all sorts of lies. He wants you to reject nonsense and go with the only thing that makes sense. And if you're familiar with the Bible, today is a great opportunity for you to rehearse some familiar truths and have fresh eyes on it. Trust God to open your eyes that you would see wonderful things in the Word. And, and if you aren't familiar with the Bible, you will be faced with the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is not nonsense. It's the only thing that makes sense. The women's devotion is the first thing we see in the first eight verses. Verse 1 says on the first day of the week, Sunday, at early dawn, they, they the women from Galilee, the same ones that were at the cross and at his burial and now at his resurrection, they are eyewitnesses of crucial gospel events. They came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. They were looking for a dead body to embalm. They didn't come looking for pastries and coffee and Easter lilies. Two days prior to this, after his death on the cross, Jesus was buried in a borrowed rich man's tomb. Joseph of Arimathea, the member of the Sanhedrin, he disagreed with condemning Jesus. He was a secret disciple of Jesus. He was looking for or waiting for the kingdom of God. He believed Jesus, and he asks for the body of Jesus, the dead body of Jesus. They give it to him. He took Christ's beaten, bruised, bloody corpse down from the cross. Had to have been the messiest scene you could imagine. The ultimate dirty job and the greatest privilege in the world at that moment in time. He took Christ's beaten, bruised, and bloody corpse and, and wrapped it and laid him in his own new unused tomb hewn from a rock. He had, had it built for his own family. And this fulfilled Isaiah 53.9. His grave was assigned with wicked men. But he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. The women had observed where he had been laid, how it was done. Nicodemus had brought 100 pounds of spices and aloes, and he and Joseph had wrapped Jesus' body with linen and spices, and these women from Galilee most likely were not familiar with Joseph and Nicodemus, who were from Judea. They were former associates of the Jewish leaders who condemned Jesus to death, orchestrated his death. And these women were determined to come back and properly prepare Jesus' dead body. And the reason they didn't insist on it right then, when he had died, before he was laid in the tomb, was that the Sabbath was beginning. It was the preparation day, Friday, the day before the Sabbath, and Jesus' body had to be in the tomb 
before sunset on Friday because the Sabbath began. And so they could not finish preparing the body and they rested. It tells us they rested according to the word of God. They, their devotion was consistent in their faith, in their obedience. And they go to their homes and it tells us they were preparing spices and perfumes. Scripture elsewhere tells us that they purchased more spices after the Sabbath, after sundown on Saturday, and they rested according to God's word in obedience and faith. And they returned Sunday morning. Verse 1, they returned Sunday morning with the spices to finish the brutal task. When you are making arrangements for a loved one and their funeral, it is... It's heart-wrenching because you have to do certain things and people kind of just lead you along and these women are, are locked in to finish this brutal task. Sweet herbs to cover the horrible, bitter stench of death. They didn't think they were coming to an Easter service. They thought they were going to embalm a body. They weren't expecting an open tomb an empty tomb, they were expecting a corpse. And when they got there, they found the, the stone rolled away from the opening of the tomb, and an earthquake and an angel had rolled the stone away, and awaking to an empty tomb, the, the soldiers, the guards, had fled in fear for their very lives. Lose a prisoner, lose your life. And the women, verse 3 tells us, entered the tomb. And they're looking for a dead body. And they don't find a body. They do not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They're looking and they're perplexed. They're wondering. And behold, two men suddenly stood before them in dazzling white, bright clothing. Two angels. And the women are terrified. They fall with their faces to the ground. It's this godly fear and reverence. And they bow their faces to the ground. And the angels say to them, ask them a good question. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? Why are you here looking for a corpse? The living one. Why are you seeking the living one? The, the bright morning star, the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, the word made flesh, the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why are you looking for him here? He is not here, but he has risen. He's alive. Remember? You ever said that to someone? Don't you remember? I told you. Remember how he spoke to you while he was in Galilee. What did he say? Verse 7. Saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, killed unmercifully, the worst of death, and the third day rise again. Truth. And so they reminded the women about Christ's words regarding his resurrection. And verse 8 tells us, they remembered their, his words. Oh. Reminded of the truth they remembered. Happens to you and I all the time. We forget something and then we're reminded and we, we remember. This, 
They're remembering resurrection hope. Sure and steady, as the writer of Hebrews puts it, a sure and, and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place of the Holy of Holies behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. They remembered. We don't always remember what we hear verbally. If you know me very well and you're around me with any kind of organizational type thing that needs to happen, you'll know that I say all the time when someone's telling me something, could you write that down? Could you send me a text? Could you put that in the email? Could you just give me a, a brief reminder? People will say all the time, I remember that that person said this about me. And I'm like, did anybody write anything down? No, we're just going off our, oh, he said, she said, and all that stuff. You know how it happens in life. It happens all the time. Stories get mixed up. And I always tell people, put it in writing. So they had it verbally. They had it verbally. We have it in writing. We have it in writing. We, we have the written word of God. We have it in writing. But we know how it is when you just hear it verbally. And even something as big, you're all thinking, well, wait a minute. Hold on a minute. If the Son of God was telling me that he was going to die and then rise on the third day, oh, I would remember. No, you wouldn't have. You would have forgotten too. Oh, you'd be making a big old deal about it. Well, you didn't put it in writing. We don't always remember what we hear verbally, but they recall the truth and it reassures them that all is well and will be well in Christ, that there is forgiveness in Christ, that there is joy and peace and love and mercy and grace all rooted in the work of Christ. When you talk about the work of Christ, when you talk about the cross of Christ, what you're saying is what he did at the cross and its aftermath. You're talking about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Oh, we remember now. Resurrection. It's the foundation on which everything rests. It's the thing that makes sense. It's the, you know, if you think about a house, it's the frame, it's the furnishings, it's the foundation, it provides for the fellowship, it's everything. They were devoted to Christ. These women were devoted to Christ. They loved him in life and death. They thought he was dead. They didn't know he was alive. They were still devoted to him in his death. We talk about the sanctity of life and we live in a culture that does not value life and therefore trashes death. Death is respected where life is sacred. And they respected Jesus even in his death. They, they valued him. They were devoted to him even in his death. That's they were, they were coming to put the spices and the embalming uh, aloes and, and perfumes on his dead body. So they presumed We live in a time where people devalue life left and right, not only killing defenseless children, but accusing each other of horrendous things without full knowledge. It's because we don't value life like these women valued life. But they had heard that he's alive. You know, I can only be devoted to Christ because he devoted himself to death in my place so that I can have life. Doesn't matter how old or young you are, whatever age you are, if you can understand my words right now, you need to turn from your sins and believe in Christ. Trust in Christ. Believe his death in your place at the cross and that he paid the penalty that you are trying to pay, but you can't and you need to believe in Jesus. Turn from your sins and trust in Christ and then keep trusting in Christ and keep obeying Jesus and keep going to the word of God and don't ever budge from devotion to Christ. Paul was fearful for the Corinthians and he 
He said to them in 2 Corinthians 11.3, I fear lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds would be led astray from the purity and simplicity of devotion to Christ. It can happen. You know it can. And he says, don't let it happen. Devotion to Christ. The women's devotion is noteworthy. When reminded, they remembered, and then they obeyed. They obeyed. But it moves us to the second response we see, and it's disbelief. The disciples' disbelief in verses 9 through 11 the, the ladies return to the tomb, from the tomb, and, and go to the disciples, to the eleven, no Judas anymore, and they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest, everyone else who had gathered. When someone dies, people gather to console, to lament, to weep, and they return from the tomb, and they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. They told these things. They told the truth. They told the good news that Jesus is not dead, but that he is alive. And, and they had all these spices you put on a dead body. They don't need those anymore. Who were these women? Verse 10 tells us Mary Magdalene the first one to see Jesus alive, and Joanna, whose husband was Herod's steward, and Mary, the mother of James, and also the other women. I love it in the Bible where it just says, and the others, the other women, the unnamed ones that God knows. And they were with them, and they were all telling these things to the apostles. Can you imagine everyone talking at the same time? It sounds like the share at dinner table. If you come to my house and you come, so many times I've seen shocked looks on people's faces like, Wow. Everyone's talking at the same time, and they they can still understand each other. They believe God's word. They told others, and everyone's just blurting it out, and and they're, they're hearing it, but it's not registering. And it says in verse 11, these words, these words that the women excitedly are giving them in their steadfast devotion to Christ, they appear to them as nonsense, silly talk, fables, fairy tales, Idle talk, idle tale, not true. They would not believe them. Disbelief. I don't believe it. Unbelievable. Inconceivable. Mark says when they heard that he was alive and had been seen, they refused to believe it. John tells us they did not yet understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. They weren't into that seeing without believing thing yet. Even later on in this chapter, Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus and he comes across two of disciples, two followers, and at one point he just says, Look, oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And he explains to them, from the scriptures, all the things concerning himself. Aren't you thankful when God opens your eyes to the truth of scripture and you believe it, you receive it, you remember it? Jesus had told his followers, I am going to rise on the third day. He was going to die to atone for their sins the sins of his people, and be risen as the first fruits of those who have died. And the disciples forgot his words. Some of you are saying, I wouldn't have forgotten. Yes, you would have. 
Remember, it was verbal. Remember how good we are about remembering verbal things. They were given instructions. They, they were to go to Galilee, some 70 plus miles away, and meet Jesus after the resurrection. Where were they? They were in Jerusalem, afraid and downcast and dejected and depressed because Jesus had died. They were full of grief and fear, but there was one group who did not forget what Jesus said. Go to Matthew 27. In Matthew 27, we see the group that remembered Jesus' resurrection predictions better than his followers. They were his enemies. His enemies knew. You know, when you're building a case against someone, oh, you remember everything. Matthew 27, 62, next day, that is after the day of preparation, Saturday, the Sabbath, they go to the Sabbath, and the chief priests and Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. They're mocking. They're hateful. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Wow, calls them an imposter, says it's going to be a fraud, another fraud. Such is depraved humanity that goes, sinks to the depths. And I am so glad they did. I am praising God that they went to Pilate on the Sabbath, sinfully saying, this imposter said he would, die, uh, would rise after he dies, and then insisting that the tomb be set, a, have a guard over it until the third day, just in case his disciples steal the body. And I'm so glad they did it. Sinful man played into God's sovereign hand again. Now it would be very clear that Jesus arose and it would be absolutely crazy talk, ludicrous, to say that anyone stole the body, right? Except that's the exact story they peddled. Even after having that guard set, that's what they ended up claiming. God always foils the feeble plans of faithless man and just want to remind you that these first people that followed Christ, they were not gullible. They were skeptical. You might be skeptical. They were skeptical. They demanded evidence. Some of you were saying, I wouldn't have. I would have believed. No, you wouldn't have. You would have demanded living proof too. Now, today, we walk by faith, not by sight. We have the whole breadth of Scripture. We see the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see the golden uh, thread of gospel truth running all the way through the Bible. They didn't. They had it in real time. They had the Old Testament, and they had what Jesus had said, and they were dealing with what had happened two days prior. So we must not parse or freeze frame this moment too tightly where they didn't believe what the women were saying. They were not rejecting Jesus. They were not actively resisting Jesus. They loved him, but in their moment of deepest dejection and desperation, you know you've said so many things when you were just, you know, down in the depths of despair. This, a moment in time can mislead, right? 
they would trust and obey. They would. In John 2.22, it says, when he was raised from the dead, his disciple remembered that he had said this and believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So in this moment in time right here, they didn't. But they did later. A moment in time can be misleading. One picture doesn't tell the whole story. If there had been, I know, surveillance video of the whole situation, it would reveal more. It would help us understand their predicament. It would help us understand their initial response. These were not rank unbelievers that were resisting and rejecting Christ. They were his people. And they were experiencing in real time, up close and personal, all the feels of what had happened. It's the same things you struggle with. They're absorbing their shocking turn of events. They saw beaten, bloody Jesus and the hateful crowds at the cross, and they, they saw Jesus on the cross, and they saw him breathe his last. If you've ever seen someone die, you know how final that seems and is. They saw him laid in a borrowed tomb. Interesting, Jesus borrowed so many things when he came to the earth that he created. A manger at his birth, a donkey, the upper room, the tomb. And here they hear that he is no longer dead, that the tomb is empty, and it defies their logic. It defies logic. They needed to receive the truth. It would reorient them, but it was defying logic at that point. Look with me at Romans chapter 10. What do you do with this truth when you hear it and it just defies logic and you think this doesn't make any sense? Look at Romans 10. Pick it up at verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a quote from Joel in the Old Testament. Joel chapter 2 verse 32. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, that defies logic. But he's a risen Lord. He's alive. We've never seen it. We didn't see these things happen, but we believe. And you see the women's devotion. It just, they're reminded. They remember. But then you see the disciples' disbelief. And they, it seems to be that they're, they're rejecting what they should have easily and quickly accepted. So now you see why it's so hard sometimes for you to grasp the truth. Want to note though Peter's determination in verse 12. Peter is determined to see for himself. A lot of people like to bash Peter. He's become one of my favorite Bible characters over the years. Peter gets up. I love this. Peter gets up and sprints to the tomb, runs to the tomb. He, he, God has stirred his heart and, and that one bright morning and Peter's mind is, is clicking and he's thinking about all that had happened. He's thinking about everything he had done and he sprints to the tomb and then John starts chasing him. Peter ran, John outran, reached the tomb first, but Peter dives, I love Peter. When I was playing baseball as a kid, I could never slide very well, but Peter dives in head first into home base here. He literally goes into the tomb first, even though John got there first. 
beats the tag, stooping in and looking in, he sees the linen wrappings only. His grave clothes folded, bloody grave clothes folded neatly. I love Luke because he's just to the point. Just give me the facts, okay? He ran to the tomb. He, he stoops and looks in to this cave, and he sees the linen wrappings only, and he goes away to his home, marveling at what had happened. Don't take marveling too strongly. It could mean lots of things. But his mind is ablaze with wonder. The guy's like, got wild-eyed amazement and astonished, and he's thinking it through. He's marveling. He's thinking it through. Could it be? Could it be? We don't know where Peter went after he denied Jesus. He wasn't at the cross when Jesus died, like John and Jesus' mother were. He wasn't home in Capernaum that was 80 plus miles away. That's a four-day walk. He couldn't have gotten there. Maybe he was with Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Bethany. We don't know. But surely he was wrecked with guilt. After that look from Jesus, after denying him, after weeping bitterly, after deserting everyone, he had to be thinking, I'm a messed up loser. I'm broken by my behavior. I'm a failure. I'm a, I'm a denier. I'm a dropout. Just like you and I, we, we think all these things about ourselves. But, but something, something changed. Some flicker of hope. Maybe he wouldn't be the scapegoat who couldn't bring himself to admit that he knew Jesus. Maybe, maybe redemption for him. Maybe his sins could be atoned for. Maybe the curse really had been reversed. I love Peter because he's so much like you and I. He was, he was inconsistent. The guy was always going back and forth. But he was determined. And you've got to give him that. He was determined. Think about his sprint to the tomb. One example. Just the sprint to the tomb. Oh, let me see for myself. This man was not going to fall by the wayside. He had been chosen by God for a purpose. And Jesus met him where he was. There were 10 post-resurrection appearances before Christ ascended back to the Father. Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene at the tomb first, appeared to the women on the road, to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, to 10 of the 11 disciples with no Thomas, and then to the 11 with Thomas eight days later. He appeared to seven disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He appeared to more than 500 disciples at one point in Galilee. He appeared to James. He appeared to his disciples, his apostles, when he was ascending into heaven. We know that after the ascension, he appeared to Paul. We know that the next time he appears, we'll be in glory, and we will see him face to face. But he had a solo meeting with Peter. Post-resurrection. 
The resurrected Christ privately, personally appeared to Peter, and we don't know when and where it was, but Scripture records it. And imagine that moment and the tears of rejoicing. Jesus would recommission Peter and give him new courage. He would give the the coward courage and he would strip him of self-confidence and free him from pride and and fill him with power from on high such that Peter would take his stand and preach the word boldly and authoritatively and courageously and he would rejoice in the truth. And it was all because Jesus walked out of that grave. Gave victory over sin that had made you and I and Peter guilty and deserving of death. Corrupted in our hearts, made us cowards. But there's a resurrection reality. We serve a presently unseen Savior who is for believers with you always and forever. And he is praying for you now, believer. Hebrews 7 says he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. You think you're going to fall by the wayside. You think that you're hanging by a thread and you're a believer in the Lord Jesus and you've trusted your soul to him. He is not going to lose you. He is not going to abandon you. He is not going to reject you. And if you're like Peter and you're one of those determined people where you say, I'm going to have to see for myself here. And your determination can take you one way or another way. You can take the high road or the low road. Aim your determination and all your energies on Christ. Give every ounce you have to serve the king. He, as Paul said to the Thessalonians, will fulfill every desire in your heart for goodness and the work of faith with power. His power. His resurrection power. His love. The first Easter wasn't what we sometimes see in museums and children's Bibles, some airbrushed, beautifully painted scene. It was a bloody mess, literally and figuratively. But Easter is a beautiful gospel reality. God takes broken and bent and bruised and bashed and banished people and makes them beautifully new like a a butterfly coming out of a cocoon because God can do what you think he cannot do. God can forgive you. God can have mercy on your soul. God can show you his grace and his love. God can set you free from the, the sin that is entangling you and making you a slave. See, death held no slave in Christ. Death is his slave. And sin is his slave. And you have to believe that. Whatever your determination, God's determination is ultimate. He determines your standing. Whatever you may do, God will prevail. Peter needed to know that. You need to know that. Faithful is he who calls you. If you're a believer, he will bring it to pass. When you know God according to Scripture, you know the truth. You can navigate life wisely. Scripture tells us the way of salvation. Scripture points us to Christ. But if you do not know Christ according to Scripture, you are at the whim of your own mind and the culture and whatever else ideas get pressed upon you. You're rudderless. You have no direction. You are believing lies dressed up in truth and that will infect your soul and your mind to the point where you think truth is lies and lies is truth. 
Careful little ears what you hear. Remember that old song? Careful little eyes what you see. If you're a believer today, make sure, make certain that your faith is firm in Christ, anchored in Christ. Make certain that you are not fooling yourself, a hearer of the word, but not a doer of the word. And keep looking to Christ, who is your life. If you're a Christian today, Christ is your very life. And the Christian life is that simple and that profound and that straightforward and that focused. And and Jesus sums it up really well. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. In his strength, for his glory, love him by obeying his word as you go through your life. Do what it says. Relish the glories. Heed the warnings. Keep looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. Jesus went to the cross knowing that he was going to buy the life of all who believe and then rise in victory. And the only thing that makes sense of this life is that. Every false foundation leads to death and destruction, and Jesus leads you to glory. Believe it. If you're a Christian, you're in his family. You're supposed to love his church. You're supposed to do the work that he has given you to do. But the Bible tells us very clearly in 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5 some things that I need to point out to you. Because, by the way, some of you are praying for people to come to faith in Christ. Some of you are those people that are getting prayed for to come to Christ. They're not praying anything bad for you, by the way. All good for your soul. But the Bible says that when someone hears the gospel and they, and they don't get it, it's like, it's like you know, they read in wooden words and it's just make, not making any sense that it's because there's a, like a veil, there's like, a, like a, something blocking them and they can't understand. And the Bible says it's because Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they will not see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God seen in the face of Christ. And that might be you today. You might not understand the gospel, but, but what if God just took the blinders off? What if God just helped you see his glory in the gospel and maybe God is softening your heart? All, all I know is we don't make anything happen and we're called to be obedient to the gospel message and share it with everyone, but only God knows where you're truly at. Only God knows what will happen. And I'm always praying for heart change. I pray this all the time. Lord, open, open hearts to the gospel. That believers that are disobedient would have a heart open to the gospel. That Christians would believe the gospel all the time and and be aligned with it and and obey Jesus. But then people that are rejecting Christ and resisting Christ, that that God would open their hearts to the gospel message of Christ crucified, risen, and coming again, and they would believe with all their hearts. They would trust their souls upon him and be saved. That's what I'm always praying. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. So if you're an unbeliever today, if you are living as if your salvation depends on you, you are either going to bring yourself to sink in the depths of despair or be ruined in the heights of arrogance. You're hopeless if Jesus comes back and you're not ready, relying on your own supposed goodness and running in the wrong direction. When Jesus died on the cross, there were two thieves one on either side of him that were being crucified next to the sinless, sovereign Savior of the world. And these two men both deserved the death that they were about to get. 
and they were cursing Jesus. The Bible tells us that. They were cursing at Jesus. Can you imagine dying for your own guilt and cursing the one who was dying for the sins of the world? And they're cursing at Jesus. But this this second thief, God brought him to his senses right before he died, moments before his death, such that he would correct the other thief. It's it's mind-blowing that he would, as they're all three hanging on crosses, he would say to the one, he would stop cursing Jesus and say, why are you doing this? Don't you fear God? We're condemned to death. This man has done nothing wrong. And he cries out to Christ for mercy, for forgiveness, for salvation. And he says, Lord Jesus, Lord, in charge of all. He's acknowledging his soul is eternal. And if he was to die right then, he would sink to the depths of hell. And he knows it. And he knows he's a wretch and there's no good dwelling in him. And he says, Lord Jesus. The guy can barely breathe. Lord Jesus, Savior, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's his prayer, his plea. And Jesus, the Lord Jesus, did not say, well, you didn't go to Bible study. You don't know me well enough. You haven't been good. You can't recite the doctrine of the authority of Scripture and the justification by faith. The Lord didn't say, you're not worthy. You're no good. Remember what you did? The Lord Jesus said, today, not tomorrow, not a week from now, not in 10 years, today, not when you repent enough, not when you have a track record of good works, today, today you will be with me in paradise. It's a word for heaven. It's a word for Eden. In heaven, Eden 2.0, better than Eden, the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells today. In a few moments, in a few moments, you you will be with me in the place I prepared for you. Today, you will be with me. I chose you before the foundation of the world, and you didn't know until right this moment. You had no idea until now. Today, you will be with me forever. You, the sinful wretch, rightly accused, guilty of death, dying for your sins, will be with me forever sinless dying for your sins today you will be with me in paradise soon we're out of here jesus says i planned this moment before you were born and here are you today on april 17th 2022 trying to plan out your whole life and make sense of your life and if it's without jesus you will fail you might be rich you might be successful you might be well known you will fail miserably, eternally. You need to trust the Lord of life. You need to not wait till you think you're ready. You need to take the plunge now. You need to yield your soul to Jesus now and be at peace with him. Humble yourself, accept repentance, rejoice in the truth, be devoted to Christ, dive deep into the truth, depend on the truth. The day is drawing near. It's gonna be a glorious day. It's almost time. But will you be among those who reject Christ or those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. The writer of Hebrews says, we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. You know, these days, um, it's so easy 
to be censored for false information by independent fact checkers. And I guess I'm not edgy enough because that's never happened to me. So I guess I need to say more things online because it's never happened. I have not been censored for false information by independent fact checkers. Bending the truth to fit their narrative. But the resurrection doesn't fit anyone's narrative except God's. And he's the final arbiter of truth. What he says goes. By the way, you know, we're living in this time of unparalleled prices and skyrocketing prices of real estate. Did you know that at that moment in time, the most important real estate in history, human history, was vacant? The tomb, the empty tomb. And people respond differently to truth. Here we have three different responses. The, the women's devotion, the disciples' disbelief, the Peter's determination, and it's the same today. There's the devoted, there's, there's the disbelieving, there's the determined, and you know, they're, they're remembering, remembering. If you remember unchanging truth, it can, it can strengthen the devoted soul. If you're devoted to Christ, praise God. Keep being devoted to Christ. Keep doing what he says. And receiving the truth will help with a humble heart. It reorients your soul. And you rejoice in God's sovereign plan. And that's the right response. As, you know, as, as determined as Peter was, he couldn't determine anything. God determines destinies. Peter couldn't make anything of eternal value happen. And if you're devoted to Christ today, remember to cling to unchanging truth. If you're disbelieving, receive the truth. Let it humble you. Let it counteract the lies and be determined to yield to Christ. Yield to Christ. Rejoice in God's sovereign plan. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might because the resurrection is not nonsense. It is the only thing that makes sense. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. If we could remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, nothing else works. Everything else fails. This is the hinge point of history. We praise you for the resurrection, the only way to life. I pray today, Lord, that the, the resurrection would be to us what it truly is, not fake news, not disinformation, no conspiracy theory, total truth. Jesus, the authoritative word of God, is no idle tale. And but for your mercy, we would be hopeless. I thank you, Lord, that you draw sinners to yourself, that you save, that you sanctify as you will in your perfect time for your perfect praise. Lord, give us strength to joyfully proclaim freedom to captives and resurrection power to the weak, all for the sovereign glory of Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. In this moment now, we get to witness some people professing publicly the faith they hold in Jesus Christ. The resurrection is real. It makes sense of everything. And we're going to see some people explaining in their own words what Jesus did in their life and how he gave them new life. And I just want to remind you that baptism doesn't save anybody. That thief on the cross didn't get baptized, and he was with Jesus. Baptism is an outward sign of, of an inward faith that you are proclaiming the gospel, the new life that is to be had in Christ. And so let's hear these testimonies and watch these believers get baptized. We're celebrating today believer's baptism. What a great day. We have three souls that want to give testimony to what God has done in their lives and transform their hearts. No better day than the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And we have Kristen, Kristen Lou here. We'll go first. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kristen. 
Growing up in a Christian home, I've been attending church ever since I could remember. And so I heard about the gospel from a very young age. In fact, I said the prayer with my counselor and accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior at Vacation Bible School when I was in fifth grade. And for a while, while I was in middle school, I started to gain a slight understanding of the gospel in greater detail and who Jesus was, but that all stopped when I entered high school. When I entered high school, that was when I started chasing after worldly pleasures, and it continued when I moved out here to Orange County for my freshman year of college. It was evident that I was not bearing any fruit, and my heart was hardened during that season of my life. It wasn't until COVID hit, and I realized not only did those worldly pleasures not fill my heart, but I also didn't really have a full grasp of what the gospel was in great detail and who Jesus was. So I started looking for churches at the beginning of the school year, and that's why I that's when I found Grace Church of Orange and the Young Adult Ministry anchored. In December of 2021, it was about the third or fourth time I've ever, atten- I've ever attended Anchor, and that was when I first heard about the story of Nicodemus in John 3, You Must Be Born Again. While Matthew was preaching, he said, people who walked away were never really saved in the first place, and that was something that really stuck with me. As I continued to go to service and anchored, I realized how convicted I was, that although my life was filled with a lot of sin, how much more God's abounding grace is for us. God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to show us what true love looks like, dying on the cross for our sins. This is a debt I will never be able to repay. And thanks to God's grace leading me to grace, I've now grasped a greater understanding and appreciation of the gospel. Through Christ, I am blessed to be in a right relationship with him forever. In this specific season of my renewed life, I've been learning to trust God more and more each day. Every morning when I wake up, I'm eager to read his word, and I can see God's grace and power orchestrating in all aspects of my life as a new believer in Christ. Because of Jesus' glorious resurrection, I am no longer placing my hope on worldly pleasures, but in him knowing that I have eternal life. I now desire God and things which are good. Jesus is my life, and I want to have a life that is oriented around him. I want to continue to submit and be obedient, which is why I am here today to get baptized as I start this new life in him. So, Kristen, you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of your sins. And out of obedience to Christ, you want to be baptized today. Okay, we'll baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, next we have Champagne Martinez will join us. Hi, Champagne. (laughs) You ready? Okay, you're ready. Here you go. Okay, good morning, everybody. Um, Growing up, I always thought I knew who God was and who I was in God. Um, Much like Kristen's story, I grew up in the church. Um, I always knew in my heart that I was a believer. Um, As I got older and married life didn't really work out for my parents, I slowly started to lose who I was. I became knowingly rebellious, defiant, and a person of the world. It wasn't until I had my son that I really started to turn back to God. I wanted to be a woman of God and lead by example. 
Even though I was going to church and trying to be involved in small groups, I still felt like I was lost. I felt like something was missing and I needed guidance on what it was I was searching for. Once I began attending Grace Church and building relationships with other believers and other friendships and seeing things through other believers' perspective and having someone to help me better understand the word of God has helped me tremendously. The Lord teaches us that teaches us about grace, love, forgiveness, and how he willingly gives us these things when we surrender and make him our priority. He loves us so much that he gave us his only son and forgave us of our sin. His grace makes us right in his sight, regardless of what we have done. Knowing who God is and all the things he promised us as his children is something I look forward to. Very good. Thank you. So you give testimony of, of Jesus transforming your heart and uh, through his resurrection on the cross. And out of obedience to Christ, you want to be baptized today. Okay, and now we have Ivan Martinez. All right, here you go. Good morning, everyone. My testimony is much like that of Ephesians 2. Before I came to know the Lord and of his grace towards me and the person of Christ, I lived my life the only way I knew, for myself and myself only. I did that which I thought was good and beneficial for me, regardless of the consequences it had on me or others. My needs came first, and everyone and everything else came second. I indulged in many of the things of the world, regardless of the advice or opinion of others, things that I am now ashamed of. I remember the day my younger brother had started to share to me about Jesus and his gospel, and noticing how my brother seemed like a different person, not the brother I grew up with for so many years. Regardless of that, I was too caught up in my own needs and life that I did not care to consider this Jesus he would share with me. In hindsight, I see now how God was working through my brother to get a hold of me, planting those seeds that would eventually take root and produce what God intended. But like many of us, I learned things the hard way. Soon after, I was jailed for some time as a consequence of my lifestyle that I was, for lack of a better word, forced to consider my life and choices. My whole life I lived only for myself regardless of what anyone thought or how anyone felt. But I knew that something was missing in my life. Someone was missing in my life. When I got out, I called my brother and asked if his friend from church who shared the gospel with him would still be interested in having a Bible study with me, something I always put off whenever it was offered. Of course, my brother was ecstatic and eager to make that happen. It was during this time that I began to go to church that I began to learn about Jesus and the gospel. And of course, my entire life had begun to change. I began to understand and believe the word of God. I stand before you and confess that Jesus is who he claimed to be, God in the flesh, Lord, our Savior. The Lord was greatly merciful, gracious, and loving toward me. Jesus is the most merciful, gracious, and loving person I could ever know. 
he demonstrated his great love in that he came into this world to make a way for sinners like me. He is like no one else because no one else could do what he has done. He emptied himself on our behalf and lived the life that we could not, always pleasing the Father. He showed us the way to live for God, the way that was pure, true, and righteous, and showed us the way back to God. To quote John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He made a way for us by taking our punishment that we deserve upon himself, that we would be able to stand before God blameless and righteous through faith in him. I trust in Christ and Christ alone. I cannot add to anything he has done because his work was perfect. He did it all. He died on the cross, was buried, and rose again on the third day. The life that I now live, I live by faith in him who loved me and gave his life up for me. I am who I am today because of him who loved me, and everything I am and have is a gift from God through his spirit that dwells in me. I'm not perfect and never will be as long as I'm in this world, but I am trusting the perfect son of God who saved me, continues to save me, and will save me when the day comes. Praise be to God the Father, Christ the Son, and God the Spirit for all he has done and continues to do. So as you've said, Ivan, you've trusted in Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ for the cleansing and forgiveness of your sins. Yes. And out of obedience to Christ, you want to be baptized today. Yes. All right. Would you stand if you're able and join us as we close?
you that summer signups are starting today for all the summer activities. No midweek activities Wednesday night this week. We'll resume on 427. And next week we're starting our new series Steadfast in 2 Thessalonians. And be sure to enjoy some time out on the plaza today of fellowship and, and snacks and what have you. But please do that immediately as soon as I say amen in a few moments, okay? I need you to seriously like move out of this room immediately. Okay, let's close with Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Now, may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you.